Thanks, Greg. Hello, everyone. Coming to you from home because Team Randers is currently stuck in Camp COVID. Uh, it started with me and then it went to my boys. Uh, fortunately, it's not uh, serious, but we are honoring isolation so that we don't infect anyone else. Actually, Greg said this was the third preach in the Haggai series, but uh, it's not. It's the fourth and final installment in Haggai. And I've really enjoyed looking at one of the minor prophets. So often these books, when I read them, seem dry and quite hard work. But actually, as we look at the last 14 verses of this book, I think you will find that there's an enormous amount of richness that I hope will be as good for you as it has been for me. Before I list the points and read the passage, I just want to give a little bit of a recap in terms of context. The Jews had been conquered by the Babylonians and were carried off uh, into exile uh, to Babylon, and Jerusalem was left in ruins. And this was the case for 50 or 60 years, and then some of them were allowed to return. It was something that many wanted to do, but it would have been hard. They were going back to a ruined city. Everything would have to be rebuilt. It would not be a time of great prosperity, but one of really hard work. So they got back. And they started to rebuild, and they rebuilt their houses and then carried on living. But life was hard. It really was hard. And Haggai showed up as a messenger from God to explain to them why it was hard. They had neglected their foundation. Not the foundation of their houses, to use a building metaphor, but the foundation of their lives, which was their worship of God. And that was expressed by their neglect of the temple. They hadn't rebuilt the temple. And so Haggai comes with a message from the Lord that says, how can you live in nice houses while the temple is in ruins? Your priorities are wrong, and that is why your life is hard. Focus on me, this is God saying, focus on me, and it will go better for you. The purpose of Haggai is God's call to the Jews to remind them of what their priorities are, to make sure that their lives are built on the right foundation. And to their credit, the Jews listen, they respond. Haggai brings two prophecies three months apart, and straight after the first one, they actually listen, and they, they start to rebuild the temple. And this last part of the prophecy is three months later, they have been working on the temple, but things aren't quite right. And so God brings some warnings, some instructions, and some incredible promises for the future. And so I have entitled this preach, There is Hope in God. Now, I'm going to list the points that come out of this passage because I want them in your head as I read the passage. Here we go. Point number one, righteousness is not contagious. Point number two, beware, because sin is contagious. Point three, when you are sinful, blessing is diluted. Point number four, nevertheless, God wants to bless you. Just get your priorities right. Then it changes tack and it looks beyond our day-to-day -day lives with a proper warning. Eternal judgment is real. And then incredible hope. Jesus will represent God in power 
and in strength. Okay, let's read together. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 23. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some stew or bread or wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. This brings us to point number one. Righteousness is not contagious. Since we're in the middle of a pandemic, we have a powerful illustration before us. If you have COVID, you don't get better by hanging around some healthy people. Being in their presence does not free you of COVID. And if you don't have COVID, hanging around with people with COVID won't make them better. If anything, it will make you sick. That's the second point. But in the same way, hanging around righteous people doesn't make us righteous. Doing a few righteous things even giving money away, doesn't make us righteous. The application is clear. You can't be saved by coming to church, by signing up and serving, by being generous with your money, or even by being kind. It's not indirect behaviors that make you righteous. Each one of us must be consecrated by God. This happens when we repent of our sins, we accept Jesus as our Lord and we ask him to forgive us. He then does so because he promised to. He cleanses us and he makes us righteous directly, not via some indirect act or association. This is what Jesus himself said in John chapter 14. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only a direct encounter with Jesus can make you righteous. Right, let's continue in the passage. Then Haggai said, If a person is defiled by contact with a dead body and touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. If you have COVID and you hang around with people who don't have COVID, will you infect them? Yeah, probably. And if you hang around with people who have COVID, will you get infected? Yeah, probably. If you have COVID, will it have a negative effect on what you're trying to achieve? Well, it's certainly true in my case. I could hardly move for a few days. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Many of the Jews were still sinning, and this had an impact on their work. Even though they were doing the right thing, rebuilding the temple, their unrepentant sin meant that their work was defiled. The application for us is clear. Beware what you do. Beware who you hang out with. Beware what media you consume because sin is contagious. It can rub off on you. This is why we are warned about how we 
associate what we do. Paul was very clear in the letter to the Corinthians. He said this, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. This is a strong warning to us as Christians to take our behavior seriously and to take our associations seriously because they rub off. Sin around us is not benign. It's quite easy in our society to be casual about sin and uh, sinfulness. And this is such a warning that we take it seriously. Now, God is not saying don't hang around sinners. But he is warning that if we hang around sinners too much, and if we start to condone their behavior, it's going to rub on, off on us and we will start to sin. Be careful is what God is saying. And this is an important warning for us to take heed of because God is not casual about sin. In fact, he hates sin. It's not a small thing for him that we would sin. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 15. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Abomination is an amazing word. We don't use it very often, but it is deep with meaning. Sin is 100% offensive to God. It's so offensive to God who is perfect that the consequences of sin are here is another good phrase. The consequences of sin is eternal damnation. We don't use that in our regular speech either. But it means that unforgiven sin will result in you going to hell forever. That's very, very heavy. And there's no return. God hates sin so much that you going to hell for your sin is an appropriate punishment. Wonderfully, God has made a way for us to avoid that eternity. He knew we could never sort out our sin problem. And so he sent himself to come and live a perfect life and die on a cross. And when Jesus died shed his innocent blood and rose again, the price that God accepted was the shedding of perfect blood. And that meant that we could be forgiven for our sins without having to pay this price of eternal damnation ourselves. It is such incredible good news for us. For those of you who have accepted Jesus, you are beneficiaries of this good news. For those of you who haven't yet, this is the most important news that you will ever hear. And I want to appeal to you to accept Jesus as forgiveness for your sins. Of course, once we have, and this is the warning, it would be inappropriate for us to carry on sinning, to be casual about sin. And so we are duly warned, be careful of what we spend our time focusing on the media we consume, the kinds of jokes we tell, the kinds of jokes we laugh at, etc., etc., etc. Peter is very clear about this in his first letter to the church. He says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
But as he who, was, who called you is holy, you are also holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's the standard that we should be aspiring to. It's quite something. And it's a little bit overwhelming, but there is hope. I'll talk about that at the end. Let's continue through the Haggai passage. Now, says God through Haggai, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Being casual about sin in our lives dilutes the blessings that God has for us. There are good things. There are blessings, but it's like there's a leak. Instead of 20, which there should be, they're 10. Instead of 50, they're 20. And so it just feels hard. Now, interestingly, in this scenario, God was using this, these leaky blessings his uh, reduction of the blessings that the Jews were enjoying as a way to get their attention. Hello? Hello? Come back. I want you back. I'm missing you. You're going the wrong way. Come back. There is clear application for us here. Being casual with sin in our lives will dilute the blessing that we are able to enjoy from God. It will damage our relationship with him. And we won't enjoy him as we should. It may even have a manifestation on the physical blessings that we could enjoy. But you see this. When we sin, God doesn't sulk. He doesn't get petulant and head off into the corner and say, well, you sort yourselves out. No, he calls to us. Sometimes it is through suffering, but nevertheless, it showcases his heart that he wants us to hear him and to return. He sends messages, come back to me. I am your foundation. Have me as your foundation so that it may go well with you. He really is kind. And now you look at this. He says this, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Even though the Jews had been half-hearted in their obedience, God still wants to bless them. It is amazing. He says, look, take note. There's not stuff. Like stuff is empty. But from this day on, from the day that you started to rebuild the temple, I will bless you. It's like just a hint that we turn towards him and God rushes in with incredible blessing. He doesn't wait for us to sort ourselves out. He just wants us to turn to us. And it's like we give one and he gives ten. Such an incredible heart of reconciliation and of warmth and of blessing. 
It is wonderful news because this behavior from God is motivated by his love for you and I. He wants to bless us. His heart is for us. Now, of course, we can get the wrong end of the stick here. If we had a panel discussion after this, I imagine one of the questions that would come up about this particular part of the passage would be, so Dave, does this mean that if I sin, I won't be blessed? And if I stop sinning, then I will be blessed and enjoy incredible good fortune because that's what God is? The answer to that is no. The Bible is clear that our lives as Christians will contain suffering, heartache, pain, grief, and hardship. And it is also clear that some of that suffering will have nothing to do with our behavior. In fact, some of it may be directly attributable to our decision to follow Jesus. Life before heaven will be hard. But it is also true that God loves us as his children and wants to bless us. And so the warning here is that our behavior, our sin, can get in the way of us enjoying the blessings that God has for us. So how do we deal with this practically? If life is hard, it could be that God is calling to you, saying, hey, come back to me, come back to me. And I want to encourage you to come back to him, to pay attention to God. The key thing is, to pay attention to God because he is good so that you can enjoy him. Not because you want the stuff. Because then you're going, hey, I don't want God. I just want this stuff. God is a way to the stuff. And that's no good. God calls us to enjoy him. And so whether you are suffering or in pain or enjoying incredible blessing, the underlying motive of our hearts must be to push into God and enjoy him for who he is. Now the passage changes tack a bit. God addresses Zerubbabel directly. He was the governor. He was a righteous man. And God had some promises for Zerubbabel himself. He promises Zerubbabel that he will be blessed, that he will be honored, even though things around the nation not inside the Jewish nation, but outside, are chaotic. But there's another layer to this last part of Haggai, and that is a prophetic layer that's talking about the end times. It's talking about God coming in and making things right, judging and rewarding and celebrating victory. And that's what I want to uh, focus on in this last bit. So as I read this last bit, Listen to it with the, the picture in your head of the prophetic. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Haggai for a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. It's a horrific picture of destruction and judgment. Now, in this context, reference to the other nations, the foreign nations, is a reference to those who have not accepted Jesus, God's enemies at the end. And the message here is that God will come in judgment, and judgment will be severe. 
So complete will the crushing be of God's enemies that it will be as if they have been betrayed by their very family, each by the sword of his brother. The crushing, the punishment will be complete. This week, I spoke uh, at our growth group about what I was preparing. And when I read this, one of the questions came up was, Yo, this is really hard. Is this just the God of the New Testament? Surely God isn't like that now. He is one and the same God. One of the mistakes that we can make when we look at God's grace and his love for us and the lengths that he has gone to, to reconcile himself to us, we forget how offensive sin is to God. It is an abomination. And actually, at the end, it is appropriate that he punishes those who have not repented for their sin. And this is a picture of that punishment. It will be severe and eternal. Everyone who has not repented, who has not accepted Jesus as Lord, will endure eternal damnation. Judgment will be severe and there will be no mercy. It's a horrific picture. It counterbalances the incredible blessing that God offers us through Jesus, his son. But it is real. And this is a reminder that the life that we are living is not a game. You know, in a game, if you die, you just reload and you play again. In fact, you get three lives in a game. And if they all go, you just reload and start again and you can keep going. But this is real. And so I long for Jesus to return. Because it means that he will come in victory and he will do away with all the sin and the suffering and the pain. But the day he does that is the day it's too late for anyone else to change. And so I'm glad that Jesus hasn't yet returned. Because every day he doesn't return is another day that more people can accept Jesus as Lord. This is what Peter says in his second letter to the church. He said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved, and so he waits. He's giving you a chance if you haven't yet accepted Jesus. If you have, remember that he is giving your loved ones a chance your friends, people you know, people you work with, people you don't know. He's giving them a chance to repent. It's quite heavy, but it does remind us that we are on a mission to showcase God's glory and invite others to be saved. To what end? To a picture of glorious eternal victory. And this is how the book ends. This is what Haggai says. On that day, the day of judgment, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Even the Jewish readers of this book would have understood that this is a prophetic picture of the Messiah coming in victory. As God's signet ring. You know, a signet ring was a symbol of power and authority. And this is what we see in Jesus, that in the end, Jesus will be exalted. He will be the very expression of God's power and authority of his complete victory over sin and death. He will also be the image, the reminder, the very expression of God's complete forgiveness for those 
who have accepted him. I'm one of them. I hope you are because eternity is incredible if you have accepted Jesus. And it is horrific if you haven't. And so I want to point you to Jesus. Actually, this whole passage points us to Jesus. How do we become consecrated? It's through Jesus. It's not through anything else. How do we avoid the stickiness of sin in our lives? We look to Jesus. He works in us and through us. How do we enjoy God? We look into Jesus. We push into a relationship with him. Who do we look to for our eternal salvation? It's Jesus. It really is like the little Sunday school kid who uh, every answer in Sunday school, he just says the answer is Jesus. In so many ways, it's true. And for your eternity, it really is true. I want to commend Jesus to you. We're going to finish now. I'm just going to pray. But I really encourage you to consider where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. Perhaps you don't know him. In which case, I want to encourage you to ask him to forgive your sins, to acknowledge that he is Lord and you are not. If you do know him, but you've drifted, perhaps you've been dallying too much with sin. Now's the time to turn back. God may have been calling you. Come back. Hello. Come back. I want you closer to me. As I pray, you can decide to do that. And if you are pushing into God, I really want to encourage you to consciously enjoy it because he is so good and worth being enjoyed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you that you came to save us. Thank you for what you have done for us. Father God, we see your heart even before you sent Jesus to earth in how you would call the Jews back to yourself, how you would long for relationship with them. We're so grateful that you love us enough to long for relationship with us. Won't you help us to respond well and to enjoy you each and every day? I ask this in your name. Amen. Have a wonderful day and a fantastic week, particularly as you push into God and enjoy him for who he is.